It's a privilege to be here to share God's word with you this morning. This past Wednesday, we celebrated Independence Day. And I don't know how you feel about the 4th of July. I love the 4th of July. I think it's a great holiday. And I think everybody loves it except for our pets. I was talking to someone this morning about how their dog did during the 4th of July. Our dog, Rusty, it was his first 4th of July. He did pretty good. But uh, I think some pets would just as soon crawl into our pocket when the fireworks start going off, they just get, they get nervous. But, you know, weather, the fireworks, the gathering of friends and family, traditional American food, something on the barbecue, I mean, what a great holiday, and, and especially what we celebrate. We celebrate that we live in a free country, that we have independence in this country. Uh, this morning, if you are, have ever served in the military or you have... Uh, Children or grandchildren serve in the military, would you please stand this morning? Thank you for your service. I don't know if we live in the freest nation in the world, but increasingly I am more and more grateful for the freedoms that we have, and especially this freedom, this freedom to gather and worship, and worship the God that we know, the, the God of the Bible. Knowing I was going to speak about freedom this morning, I went on the internet, and I looked up some quotes about freedom. I, I would encourage you to do that sometime. I was really surprised. I mean, there were stirring quotes, many of them from the founding fathers. I mean, those men and women, they thought long and hard about what it would mean to to craft the Declaration of Independence, to write the Constitution that has been a roadmap for our country for these many years. So I went through a bunch of quotes, and I was looking for one that I thought might fit what I wanted to share this morning with you about freedom. And uh, I came across this one. This is from Andrew Jackson. This was his farewell address on March 4th, 1837. This is what he said. But you must remember, my fellow citizens, that eternal vigilance by the people is the price of liberty, and that you must pay the price if you wish to secure the blessing. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, and you must pay the price if you wish to secure the blessing. You're going to see how well that fit that quote that's really about our nation and the freedom that we enjoy in this country, how that quote fits what I'm going to share from God's word about our freedom in Christ this morning. Freedom in Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today. And let me just kind of tell you where we're going to go with that. First, we're going to see what Jesus had to say about our freedom in him. What it is, what it isn't. And next, the Apostle Paul will spell out two of the greatest dangers to our freedom in Christ. And that's where the vigilance part comes in that Andrew Jackson was talking about. And lastly, we'll discover how we can live each day walking in our freedom in Christ. So let's begin with a, a very often quoted statement by Jesus about freedom. It's found in John 8. 
So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, that last line is quoted often, not in this context, but people often quote that. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As Christ states here, knowing the truth that makes us free begins with being a disciple. If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. In other words, it's only the followers of Jesus Christ, those individuals who have trusted him for the forgiveness of their sins, who can know the truth that really sets them free. So what truth must we know to be free? Well, Christ tells us a little bit later in John 14, 6, you probably know it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. Truth in this instance is not a fact. It's not a proposition. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. Freedom in Christ begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we explore this subject a little more, my hope is that each of us will honestly examine our lives to see if we are walking in the freedom of Christ that his death on the cross made possible for us. When Jesus spoke these words about freedom, he was speaking to a crowd that contained both people who were followers of his and skeptics, probably most of them were skeptics. Well, in the next couple of verses, you'll see how the skeptics responded to this truth. In uh, John 8, 33 through 36, this is how the skeptics responded. We kind of put this together this morning, so it's my fault. It goes this way. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, speaking of Jesus, how is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free you shall be free indeed. The skeptics, when Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free, the skeptics were thinking political freedom. They were thinking national freedom. It's the freedom that we celebrate on the 4th of July. That's what the skeptics were thinking. What's curious about the statement is, well, we're Abraham's offspring, and we've never been enslaved by anyone. Think about that for a minute. What about those 400 years in Egyptian slavery? What about the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity? What about even right then as this conversation was taking place and Israel was under the the boot of Roman occupation? What do you mean you've never been enslaved as Abraham's offspring? They've been enslaved most of their existence. Curious statement that they would say that. But true freedom in Christ is neither political nor economic. 
So now we've moved away from the 4th of July as we celebrate it, because freedom of Christ has nothing to do with political or national freedom. Slaves can be free in Christ. As a matter of fact, it's very likely that many of the early Christians in the first century were from the slave class. So it's not about political freedom. It's not about economic freedom. People living in totalitarian countries like China can be free in Christ. People living in Muslim-controlled countries of the Middle East can be free in Christ. Jesus' reply here makes it clear that he's not speaking of political freedom when he talks about being truly free. He's speaking of spiritual freedom. Freedom from the tyranny and the punishment of sin. Some misunderstand Christ's words in verse 34 where he says, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Some misunderstand that as though Christ is saying that the follower of Christ will no longer sin or that Christ's followers will no longer continue to struggle with the temptation to sin. I'm guessing that your experience is like mine, that that's just not the case. Both Christ's teaching and the teaching of the apostles and the rest of the New Testament bear testimony to the continuing struggle with a sin nature that every one of Christ's followers experiences daily. Paul says in Romans 7, oh, who's going to set me free? I don't do the thing that I want to do, and the very thing that I want to do, I don't do. It's not the presence of sin that we are freed from in Christ. Rather, it's the power of sin and the penalty of sin that we are freed from. It's not that we're not going to struggle with sin anymore once we come to faith in Christ, for we will. But no longer will sin enslave us. No longer has it the power to dominate our life so that we are like a puppet on on the end of the string being controlled by some sin issue in our life. And certainly no longer do we have to fear the ultimate consequence of sin, which is eternal death. We are freed from that in Jesus Christ. In John 8, 35, Jesus said, and the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. When Jesus contrasts the temporariness of the slave's situation with the permanence of the son's position, he reveals yet another significant dimension of what it means to be free in Christ. Freedom in Christ is experienced both today and guaranteed into eternity. But it's not the follower of Christ who bears the burden of maintaining his or her salvation. Rather, it's Jesus. He stated it this way in uh, John 10. He said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. To be free in Christ is to be eternally safe and secure in the great shepherd's arms. What a freedom that is. Eternally safe and secure in Jesus. Now recall that when this conversation took place in John 8, Jesus was speaking to a mixed crowd of people. 
mixed in the sense that some were his disciples, but many were not. To that extent, Christ's words were more of an evangelistic message along the lines of, if anyone wants to experience true freedom, come, follow me. More of an invitation kind of a message when he first introduced this idea of freedom. But when we turn to the epistles of the New Testament, specifically the book of Galatians that we've been reading on Sunday mornings for the last several months, we find the Apostle Paul discussing freedom in Christ from a very different perspective, a distinctly pastoral perspective. Paul is speaking in the book of Galatians to believers only. He's not speaking to a mixed crowd. So he's speaking to believers, and he's very concerned that they might forfeit their freedom in Christ by falling into one of two very dangerous areas of false teaching. One of those areas of false teaching is legalism. The other is license. I'll explain those in a minute. I said, uh, we just finished reading through the book of Galatians. It was uh, the scripture that was read each Sunday morning for the last several months. And if you recall, as uh, that book was being read, the Apostle Paul had been very concerned in the book of Galatians that some of the believers in that area of Asia Minor were buying into the false teaching that the true follower of Christ needed to both trust Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and be circumcised. In other words, to be saved, there was this teaching that was going out to the believers in Galatians that if you trust Christ, yep, you're saved by faith in Christ, but you must also be circumcised. That's legalism. Legalism is, is, is adding the necessity of keeping some aspect of the law to faith in Christ and making that the equation, so to speak, that leads to salvation. What the scriptures teach is faith in Christ equals salvation. What the legalist teaches, faith in Christ plus something else that you must do or not do leads to salvation. Now, it's not hard to see the progression of thought here. Salvation came through the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was circumcised. Until the Apostle Paul's ministry, most of the early followers of Christ were Jewish men and women. That's where Christianity started. It started in Israel. The sign of God's covenant relationship with the Jewish people was the act of circumcision for all Jewish males. So the thinking kind of went this way. If it was good enough for Jesus, and it was good enough for those first followers, it's good enough for the later disciples as well. Kind of makes sense, right? Wrong, the Apostle Paul would say. Legalism does not please God. It offends God. Legalism does not bring a person closer to God. It rather drives that person away from God. And that's Paul's argument in a nutshell. We're going to read it now uh, as it was read a couple weeks ago. This is from Galatians chapter 5, the first 12 verses of Galatians chapter 5. So follow along Paul's argument here. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. 
You've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, and you've fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you, the false teacher, shall bear this judgment, whoever it is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Boy, that's strong words. I want to share an illustration with you, I think, that will help bring some perspective to this discussion. Lynn and I love to hike around Mount St. Helens, and there's a great hike that uh, you can take. You go up to Windy Ridge, and you start at Windy Ridge, and you hike over the eastern shoulder of Mount St. Helens and uh, cross something called the Plains of Abraham that's just desolate, has no trees or bushes or anything. And you go down uh, a ridge of what's called Ape Canyon until you get to Lahar. And as you go down that ridge, it's a pretty steep ridge. It's, it's a beautiful ridge, but the trail just goes right down the ridge line. And, and it's a steep drop-off on either side. I mean, it's, you're not in danger, but if you don't stay on the trail, you're going you're gonna to get on a very steep slope and uh, struggle to get down that trail. So the, 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 the caution is stay on the ridge. Stay on that ridge trail, and you do fine going down to Lahar at the end of the hike. Well, that illustration helps me put Paul's warnings in this passage in perspective. We've been set free in Christ, and in a sense placed on that beautiful ridge trail to walk the Christian life. But Paul's saying here, beware. Beware, there are steep, slippery slopes to either side that can seriously hinder our progress walking in Christ. One side of that dangerous, slippery slope is legalism. We just read about it, Galatians 5, 1 through 12. And the next one we'll get to a little bit later, the slippery slope of license. That's coming up a little bit later in Galatians. But let's look at legalism, the slippery slope of legalism. If you could put verses 5, 1, and 2 back on the board, please. Paul starts out here with our topic, our subject, freedom. And he says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. So circumcision is, is the area of legalism that Paul focuses on in this book of Galatians. I think the tendency for us living in the year 2018, when we read this section of Scripture, is to kind of react this way. Okay, okay, Paul, I'm sure you're right to be concerned about folks thinking they had to be circumcised and add that to faith in order to be a Christian. But that was an issue in your day, in the first century. It's just not an issue in 2018. I mean, circumcision is just not an issue for us today. So do we really need to be concerned about the slippery slope of legalism in our day? 
Paul would say, absolutely. Legalism appeals to our vanity. Legalism appeals to our flesh, our sin nature inherited from Adam. Legalism attempts to add some work that we can do to what Christ has already done for us. Some church systems are built on legalism. All cults are based on legalism. Some people would use the term works here instead of legalism. It's the same thing. Legalism begins with thinking that goes kind of like this. In order to be saved, a person must trust Christ and do this or that. Or the more likely form of legalism that we might encounter in the church today, it goes this way. In order to be spiritually mature, to be a more spiritual person, you must trust Christ completely and do this or that. Now, the this or that's the people put into the, to the equation uh, vary a lot. Let me give you some examples of modern-day legalism. A person must trust Christ and go to church to be saved. That's not true. Going to church is commanded in the scriptures and certainly benefits growing in Christ, but do you need to go to church to be saved? No. Another example, a, church, a person must trust Christ and go to church on a certain day of the week. A person must trust Christ and become a church member to be saved. Oh. How about this one? A person must trust Christ and be baptized to be saved. That one surprise you? Don't misunderstand me. We are commanded to be baptized. There's a baptism coming up here in a few weeks. And we're commanded to be baptized. It's a very key part of our testimony when, in identifying with Jesus Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. But do the scriptures teach that baptism is necessary for salvation? Consider the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Other examples. A person must trust in Christ and read the Bible. A person must trust in Christ and dress a certain way. A person must trust in Christ and observe certain holy days, whatever they be, Jewish or otherwise. A person must trust in Christ and observe certain dietary regulations, what they eat and don't eat. That's all legalism. You must trust in Christ plus do something else to be saved. How about these ones? A person is more spiritual if they trust in Christ and refrain from certain activities like playing cards, drinking alcoholic beverage, dancing, a barn dance, Watching movies or TV. You'll be more spiritual if you don't watch movies or TV. 
wearing certain clothes. Or a person will be more spiritual if they trust Christ and pray this many minutes a day, or read scripture this many minutes a day, or share Christ with so many people in a given month, or don't observe obviously pagan celebrations like birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas and Easter. That sounds crazy, but all of those have been mentioned to me over the years, that you're more spiritual if you don't do some of those things. Is that true? That's legalism. Now, I realize that many of us have grown in our faith by doing or not doing some of the very things I've just mentioned. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that some of the disciplines named are not very beneficial for growing in Christ because they are. Reading Scripture. Memorizing Scripture. Spending time in prayer. But we cross the legalism line when our thinking moves from humbly thanking God for certain disciplines that make for good boundaries in our personal walk with the Lord, when we cross from that line to thinking, I've made so much progress in my walk with God. Other people notice it and they compliment me on my discipline. I am becoming more spiritual. If only others were like me. If only others were as disciplined as I am. I know that if I obey these rules, I become a more spiritual person, so other Christians should obey these rules too. That's legalism. Does it sound like pride? It does because it is pride. Think of the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They were the ultimate legalists. They were so convinced that they owned the inside track on understanding the Old Testament scriptures that they put to death the Son of God because he didn't measure up to their personal standard of righteousness. That's how convinced they knew the truth, and Jesus didn't. No matter how you look at it, legalism is a dangerous, slippery slope. When we abandon grace and in favor, turn back to the law, we always lose. What do we lose? Uh, could you put uh, Galatians 5.1 up there again, please? That's three and four. I need five, one, and two, please. There it is. Okay. So look, look what Paul says. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That's going backwards. We were subject to a yoke of slavery before we came to know Christ. We were sinners and couldn't do anything about it. Not only that, could we not get out of our sin, we were, we were going to pay the ultimate price for sin, which would be eternal separation from God. We were in slavery. Paul says, don't go back there. That's going backwards. When we didn't know Christ as our Savior and Lord, we were completely under the servitude of sin. We were slaves to sin. That's the state of every man and woman before they meet Jesus. Through faith in Christ, the yoke of sin is removed. And now we serve another. Jesus said this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. The thing about freedom in Christ is we don't throw off the yoke of slavery to sin and have no yoke at all. Jesus says, no, we, he sets us free from, the, from our slavery to sin, but he gives us, actually we share a yoke with him. That, that picture of oxen yoked together, that U-shaped thing that, go, that controls the oxen, well, Jesus is in one half and we're in the other. And that burden is light. It's easy. Christ died to make us free, not to make us slaves. To go back to law, to legalism, is to become entangled in a maze of do's and don'ts, thinking that if I keep doing these things or I don't do those things, then God's pleased with me. But it's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has already done for us. When we go back to legalism, we just abandon spiritual liberty for a different form of slavery. It may look good on the surface. It may look religious. That's what the Pharisees had going. But religious legalism is still bondage. Paul tells us, do not become entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Take your stand for liberty. Uh, now, if you could put up verses 3 and 4 in Galatians 5, please. I want to show you some other things that Paul says here. talking about circumcision in verse 4 you've been severed from Christ I mean these are people these are Christians right he's talking to Christians in, in Galatia and he says if you go back and you, and you take up circumcision thinking that's what you need for salvation you've been severed from Christ if you're seeking to be justified by the law you have fallen from grace what a term when we begin down the slippery slope of legalism we not only lose our liberty but we become spiritually impoverished spiritually poor. Paul makes it clear that the law adds nothing to what Christ has done for us or to what Christ has given us because nothing can be added. We have everything in Jesus Christ. Instead, legalism comes in as a thief and robs the believer of the spiritual riches that he has in Jesus Christ. To live by grace means to depend on God's abundant supply for every need in our lives. That's how we're to live. We're to live by grace, depending on God for everything. But to live by law, legalism, means that we depend on, not God, we depend on our own strength. We depend on our flesh. That's that sin nature we inherited from Adam. And not only do we trade God's grace for our own resources, we've fallen from grace. We're left without God's supply. If you put up the next few verses, verses 5 through 7, I'm just going to go through this passage quickly. For we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? In verse 5 there, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit, and as we'll see, the Holy Spirit is the key to living daily in our freedom in Jesus Christ. In verse 7 of this passage, Paul asks a very searching question. He says, who? Who put this false teaching about legalism into your heads and caused you to stumble from obeying the truth? Who was it? 
Paul wants, to, Paul wants to call out. He says, who's the false teacher or teachers who told you you must add circumcision to faith in Christ to be saved? Who told you that? And then in the next few verses, we won't read them, but boy, he has got some scathing words that he addresses to these false teachers. And he ends it by saying, you ought to just mutilate yourselves for teaching such truth to believers. Legalism. Going down the ridge trail. Our freedom in Christ. And on one side is a slippery slope of legalism, thinking that we can add something that we do or don't do to faith in Christ. But the other side is license. Let's look at that right now. Verses 13 through 15, if you could put those up, please. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. That phrase from verse 13, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Remember, the flesh is the sin nature that we inherited from Adam. It doesn't go away when we come to faith in Christ. It's what we struggle with. That's what we struggle with for the rest of our lives. But God gives us the grace so that we can be victors in that struggle. One of the greatest truths for the follower of Jesus is that his death on the cross canceled the debt for our sins. It canceled the debt for all of our sins. Now, most of us are very aware of the sins that we committed in our B.C. lives, B.C., before Christ. Before you came to faith in Christ, most of us remember very clearly the things that we were involved in, the things that we did. And in many cases, we're ashamed of the things that we did before we came to Christ. We're forgiven of all those sins. Thank God. And yes, we're also very aware of the sins that we continue to struggle with today. We know. Nobody has to tell us. We know what we struggle with today. But none of us has a crystal ball to know what sins we may fall into in the future. Yet the Lord knows. And praise God, those sins are forgiven too. All of our sins, past, present, future, they're all forgiven in Jesus Christ. That's freedom to know that God has forgiven our sins completely. But that very freedom from the condemnation of all our sins can, as the apostle states here, become an opportunity for the flesh. The thinking might go this way. Since I'm forgiven, past, present, and future, then that means I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm forgiven. It's already done. Such deceived and self-serving self logic falls under the term of license. And this area is the very area where Paul was taken to task and often accused of teaching to new believers. Paul was attacked on this issue a lot. For example, we won't go here, uh, but I, just to share this with you, at the end of Romans 5, Paul makes a statement that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You've probably heard that. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
he was making the point that no amount of sin on man's part was a match for the infinite grace of God displayed on the cross of Christ, where Jesus took all of our sins on himself and paid the penalty for our sins in our place. And yet some of Paul's detractors, some of Paul's enemies, turned that statement around and they said, well, if that's true, if where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, let's just sin even more because then God's grace is going to look that much better. Paul was accused of teaching that. And Paul replies to that, the first couple of verses of Romans 6, he says, what shall we say then? To continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be, Paul says. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? He was accused of teaching license. But he wasn't teaching license. He was teaching freedom in Christ. So here's the other slippery slope that is a caution for our freedom in Christ. Paul is saying, don't allow your liberty in Jesus to degenerate and do license with the attitude that, well, since I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want to. How can such a thing happen in the Christian's life? It starts out the same way that all sin that enslaves us begins, with a couple of baby steps. Let me give you some examples. We go through a particularly stressful time, maybe some medical procedure, something else going on in our life, and, and we're prescribed some medications, either for anxiety or for pain or for something else. And we begin to depend on those medications to the point that long after whatever the issue was, we're now addicted. And we just keep going and figure out ways to get those medications. Or we hang out with old friends and we join in with whatever their substance abuse is. It used to be our substance abuse. And before long, we have a hidden drug or hidden alcohol habit. At least we think it's hidden. Or we stumble across pornography on the internet. And before long, we're spending more and more time indulging our flesh and its sinful desires. Or we hang out with our coworkers and join in with their off-color jokes and their coarse language. And before long, our speech is no different than someone who makes no claim to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Or something happens at work. Or something in our life. And we respond with anger. I mean, kind of over-the-top anger. But then that anger doesn't go away. And pretty soon, more and more, we just seem to be angry all the time. Maybe that's what we, a house we grew up in. There was a lot of anger in the home we grew up in. We thought we'd left that behind when we came to faith in Christ, but now we're just angry all the time. To the point that our children are, are afraid and our spouse is fearful because our anger just seems to have no limit. How do we get on that slippery slope? How, how do we go from walking in freedom of Christ to getting into those old sin patterns again in our lives? I mean, we know Christ is our Savior. Now we're sliding down the slope of license. We're giving the flesh an opportunity here. So if on one side of the ridge trail is the danger of legalism, on the other side is the danger of license, how, how do we stay on the trail? How do we walk each day 
in our freedom in Christ? The Apostle Paul's answer is short and sweet. By being led by the Spirit of God. By being led by the Spirit of God. This is the next verse in Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He goes into a longer discussion about that, but let me just ask this question. What does a Spirit-led life look like? If this is how we walk down the, the ridge trail of freedom in Christ, avoiding legalism and avoiding license, how do we stay on that trail? How do we walk the Spirit-led life? Here's where we encounter one of the paradoxes of what it means to have freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ means that we have the liberty, the freedom to serve one another. That doesn't sound like freedom on the front end, does it? But it is. We have the freedom to serve one another in love. Remember uh, Pastor Bill shared with us the reason that he wanted to go through Mark for the last year plus was Mark 10.45. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus, who has obviously ultimate freedom, came to serve. And freedom in Christ means that we have the freedom to serve one another in love. We don't need to be patted on the back. We don't need to have people recognize us to think we're such a spiritual person. That's all, that kind of gets us over into legalism and it gratifies the flesh. No, we just have the freedom to serve one another because we've been forgiven. We've been set free from the power of sin. We've been set free from the punishment of sin and we are free to serve one another. We serve one another because that's what Jesus did. And now we have his spirit living in us, giving us the freedom to serve others in love, just as he did, just as he served us. The amazing thing about love is that it takes the place of all the other laws that God ever gave. Back in verse 14, Paul said, the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A full discussion of the Spirit-led life is a topic for another message. We're not going to do that this morning. But before we leave Galatians 5, I want you to see that Paul gives us a wonderful guideline to know whether or not we are walking in the Spirit on any given day, whether or not we are walking in our freedom in Christ. The guideline is found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You'll recognize this passage. It's the fruit of the Spirit passage. The fruit of the Spirit is... Say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Even a brief look at that list of nine Christ-like qualities that mark us when we're walking in the Spirit reveals that most of those occur in the context of relationships. They don't, they don't occur so much in the context of us just being by ourselves. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, that, those all occur in the context of relationship with each other. 
with the people in our lives. In other words, where is the fruit of the Spirit going to show up? It's going to show up at home. It's going to show up in the doors of your house. It's going to show up at work. It's going to show up here on a Sunday morning or whatever other time that the body of Christ gathers and comes together. It's going to show up in relationships with other people. So here's a simple way to check whether or not we are walking in the freedom of Christ on the ridge trail. Here's a simple way to check that we haven't slid off the trail either onto the slippery slope of legalism or the slippery slope of license. Here's a way to determine if we're being led by the Spirit of God in our lives because that's where the freedom of Christ would lead us. It begins by memorizing this list of nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit or at least having this list ready to hand because when you have this list either in your memory or you have it ready where you can read it, then you just ask yourself this question. Is what I'm doing today, is the activity that I'm involved in right at this moment, is the person that I'm interacting with right now, is any of the fruit of the Holy Spirit evident here in this relationship? in this activity and then just go through the list the thing about fruit we're, we're, in the, we're in the fruit season in Washington right the berries are on the vine the apples are beginning to grow the thing about fruit is it's very visible I mean I don't, I don't know much about plants but I know an apple tree, not because I know the shape of its leaves, but because I recognize what an apple is. And I can tell you what kind of a berry bush is, not because I know the difference between blackberry and marionberry and raspberry, but because when the fruit comes out, I know that's a raspberry bush because that's what I know raspberries. That's the way fruit is. It's very evident. It's recognizable. It's there for everybody to see it, including us. So we can just go through this list in any given relationship or activity we're involved in and just say, Lord... Is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace? Am I exercising patience? That's with people, by the way, not with just circumstances. Am I acting kindly? Is what I'm doing good? Is there gentleness or faithfulness or self-control going on right now in this relationship, in this activity? That's how we can know. It's not, it's, it's not a guess. The fruit's evidence, either there or it's not. If the worship band would come back up at this time, we'll close in a minute. I know we've covered a lot here this morning, but let me just kind of recap. I wanted to talk about freedom in Christ this morning. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not political, not economic, not what we celebrated on the 4th of July. It's freedom to serve one another in love. It's freedom from sin's power over our lives to enslave us. Yeah, we may voluntarily go back into legalism or license, and put ourselves again in bondage to sin, 
bondage that we've been set free from, but that's a choice we make. And we can be set free in Jesus Christ from those things in our lives. But it's freedom not only from the power of sin in our lives, it's free from the terrible consequences of sin. Remember, Paul says the wages of sin is death, eternal death. We're free from that in Jesus Christ. And, and ultimately, I would say that freedom in Christ is the freedom to live daily being led by the Spirit of God. Wow, that's freedom. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control can be what our lives are about. Not because we can produce those things, but because the Holy Spirit produces them in and through us because we are free in Jesus Christ. That's freedom. Praise God that we are free in Jesus Christ that way. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we live in this country. I don't know where this country is going, Lord, in terms of the freedoms that we have right now. It looks a little shaky in some areas, but Lord, we now have freedom that we could gather in a church on Sunday morning and we can open the Word of God and, and study it and read it together and rejoice it at God's blessings. Rejoice that we have freedom in Jesus Christ. But Lord, the, the freedom that you want us to have is a freedom that cannot be taken away from us. For Jesus Christ, he is our guarantor. He has risen from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God. He intercedes for us every day that we would understand and walk in the freedom that we have through faith in him. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Lord, if there is some sin issue that even as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have allowed ourselves to become enslaved to again, and we're just kidding ourselves by thinking that we could quit at any time, Lord, let us humble ourselves before you this morning and confess that sin to you, Lord, and turn away from it and seek help from another brother or sister, Lord, to be truly free from something that has enslaved us again. Lord, we want to walk on the ridge trail of freedom in you. Lord, we want to walk in such a way that those nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, that, they, that that's what our lives are about, that we would serve one another in love. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that that's all possible because of what your son did on the cross. Lord, we rejoice and we praise you that we are free in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name.